0: grateful for everything as well. Um, we regularly try to, uh, to remember. It's, it's been a little bit of a rough year in some ways, um, and I often find myself saying to Shelley and, and her uh, agreeing with me that we have such good friends. You know, we have so many friends. It's, it's crazy, like how many people have the hundreds of friends that we have through our church family and through our own connections to back them up, and who has We have such great families, and we have such a great church family. We are overwhelmed with the amount of connections and support that we have, and that's something to be thankful for for us. So thank you, everyone, for that as well. I'm going to switch to the hands-free mic now, so stand by. Testing? Yes? All right, I'm here. Great. Um, We are talking about thankfulness, and so I'm going to read a passage which is in fact an entire psalm, Psalm 107, on this topic. So you can find that in your Bibles if you want to, or I'll beat you there. And then you'll have to decide whether or not you keep ruffling pages while I'm reading, or if you just listen. Or you can follow along on the screen. But this is Psalm 107. It goes like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from the east and the west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them away, uh, He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled. There was no one to help Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some went out on the sea in ships. There were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths In the peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The ways of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into a thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned desert into pools of water, and the parched ground into flowing flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish." Then the numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles makes them wander into trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased the families like flo- their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about thankfulness. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and the way that you work in our lives and everything that you've given us for which we are thankful. We pray you cultivate in us tonight as we go into this new year a heart of thankfulness, lifting up praise to you for all you've given us. And we ask you're with us now as we engage with you. And we ask that in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So there are things about living in our modern world that are less than appealing. There's a certain simplicity in remembering, or for the young, imagining, a life before the internet and mobile phones and social media, a time when your life was not expected to be on display for everyone else's comparison, and when you couldn't be bothered by calls when you were out, Um, and when you got mail that wasn't just trash or bills, it was kind of a nice surprise. And bigger than that, there's something a little depressing maybe about looking at a satellite map of the world and realizing that no one's ever going to discover a new island or a new frontier those adventures are gone there will never be a call for brave settlers to go out to make a log cabin to live in the wilderness pan for gold live simply comfortable as our day and country happen to be it's easy to feel less than satisfied by them because they lack these things and for this reason a question like if you could live at any time in any place in the world, where and when would that be, has become a kind of a standard icebreaker question and a a, uh, feature on Facebook quizzes and things like that. So I put it to you as a thought experiment. If you could live at any time in any place, where would you live? And when would you live? Pride and Prejudice fans may be tempted by the Regency era of England, world of garden parties and debutante galas and Mr. Darcy's and whatnot. Around that time on the other side of the world, the West was becoming about 50 years from then about as wild as it was going to be, saloons and frontier living in the hard but satisfying work of shaping an untamed land into a civilized one, that may appeal to some. Further back than that, you could find the medieval period of chivalrous knights serving at least theoretically noble kings. Um, And all these are the ones in kind of recent history that aren't particularly exotic. Maybe you'd be interested living in the golden age of the Republic of Rome or uh, the honor and glory age of the samurai in Japan. Maybe you'd want to live at the turn of the first century in Judea for a chance to see Jesus walk the earth face to face. Now, I like history, obviously. You just heard the last 30 seconds. And I like historical fiction. I like historical fact. I'm drawn to stories set in these things and facts about these places. But if we are realistic about it and what we have right now, and right here. The best time and place to live is right now and right here, and there is really no competition. You can make an argument about America or England and a handful of other sort of Western European countries, and maybe there's something to be said about preferring to live in um, some slightly removed part of the modern era where society felt the church and religion were more important than they maybe do now. But in every other way, except for the most astonishingly privileged members of society, life used to be pretty bad compared to what it is now. This leads us maybe to take for granted the amazing amounts of blessings that God pours on us just by virtue of being alive and being here. So I want you to imagine that a child is born let's say in France about a thousand years ago. He's in medieval France, there's castles, lords, knights, etc. Let's say this French child's parents aren't very inventive with names and they name him or her Francis. Let's say that Francis is a boy, but for the record Francis might have been a girl and that would have been like this, but harder in almost every way. So Francis is born. His mother has something like a 4% chance of dying in childbirth due to complications or infection. Women average five pregnancies at the time, so Francis's mother is running a gauntlet of about a 10% chance to die somewhere in the process of making her average-sized family. That isn't to say the average-sized family has five children at that time, Francis' first challenge in life is going to be to make it to his first birthday. He does, but one in four children do not. His mother will care for him, and she, she cares for the other children. While she does that, she will do everything she can to work in their home, doing things like and including making the family's clothes. Clothes and cloth does not come cheaply or easily. Francis will cycle through the clothes his siblings wore until he finishes growing up, and then he will have one or perhaps two sets of clothes at any given time. Francis will learn the skills that his father knows and that he can teach him. If he's a lucky boy, his father will be a shoemaker or a tradesman or a noble of some kind. But he is not lucky. He is incredibly average because he is an example. And like 90% of the other children born in the history of the world, his father is a farmer. He will not learn to read since reading is a waste of time for a farm boy. He will learn to count up to about 10 or 20. He's unlikely to have more than 20 of anything in his life, and that's about as far as his education is going to go. He'll learn about measurements in paces and hands, and as time goes, his first job will probably be tossing seed into the furrow that his father digs on their plot of land, and a great deal of general go there, fetch this kind of work, the kind of work that a six-year-old can do, so that the parents can immediately begin getting some kind of return on the investment of having him. If he's lucky, his house will have two rooms, but likely he'll sleep on the same pallet of straw as his parents and siblings. He'll go to the toilet in a pot. He'll be allowed to eat meat on special occasions only. And he'll do his best not to die of a fever or a plague. And if he manages to live to the mature age of 15, he will be doing very well. Half of all children did not. On Sundays he and everyone in town will go to the local church where a priest will read to them from the Bible. The priest will read in Latin and Francis will never understand a word of it. The priest might give a homily or a message that mostly revolves around the need to submit to God and King Louis, God's appointed king, uh, and the dangers of hellfire for those who deviate at all from the teaching of the church. He'll know Bible stories mostly from the way they are depicted in the carvings and tapestries in that church and how they are explained to him by people who dare to give him their time. He'll probably never hear words like personal relationship with Jesus. He'll mostly know God in an abstract, fearful way. He will know that God is there because someone has to be lifting the sun into the sky and pushing it back down at night. But he will live his life interested mostly in making sure God is not especially angry at him at a given time so that he can go about his important work on the farm. His parents will marry him off to a girl from the same village when they're both in their mid-teens. He'll probably live in the house where he was raised his whole life. He'll work very hard to produce grain, and he and everyone else he knows will produce, on average, a little bit more grain than they all need to survive. He doesn't get to keep the excess. That goes to the lord, of course, whose land he lives on, the local lord, not the lord proper. Francis is not quite a slave. He's a serf, which means he's not exactly free either. He pays the product of his labor to this lord, and in return that lord covers Francis with certain protections. The lord's knights will keep bandits off the road, and the lord generally keeps order in the land. If he didn't have that lord, there will be no one to stop anyone from simply clubbing Francis over the back of the head with a shovel and taking those few things that he owns." And secondly, the Lord protects Francis by organizing him and the whole village into a rough unit of spear and shield soldiers to fight off the Vikings who happen to show up every now and then, seemingly just to set everything on fire and carry off anything of value. Francis will live and die within 20 kilometers of the place he was born. If he is especially unlucky, he will live through a horrible plague or a religious schism or a European war, the kinds of things that just kill a quarter of the world. More likely, he will live to the ripe old age of 60 or 70 if he's gotten to 15. That story is more or less the same everywhere in the world for all of history. Some of the details will change. Francis might grow up working in a factory if he's born a couple of hundred years later, but still probably as a child and still losing fingers. Uh, He might be hunting or gathering if he's born a few thousand years earlier, but he could never imagine the life that he would live if he was born in the era that we are in now. Francis, born in the modern era, born today or within a decade or two decades even, is 170 times more likely to make it to adulthood than he was in the old world. His mother will be attended during that birth by a team of professionals whose job it is to make sure that she and her children are healthy. She probably has the privilege of having an epidural to take the edge off the pain during childbirth. She will Instagram a picture of herself smiling, exhaustedly holding that child, while her husband leans into the frame with a stupid look on his face. (laughs) This picture will receive likes and hearts from more people than the original Francis would meet in his entire life. But modern Francis would um, grow up with the care of doctors so skilled that the original Francis would mistake them for wizards. They will inoculate him from many of the world's most vicious diseases, and his parents will be guided to avoid the others. He will grow up learning to count and read. He'll be told incredible numbers of fascinating stories that will make his childhood amazing even just within his own head, if not outside of it as well. His school will try to teach him a second language, and he'll probably remember remember snippets of it, but maybe it won't take to him because he's not particularly interested in it. By the time he is 10, he will know more about the world than 99% of the people who have ever lived knew in their whole lives. His parents will have him do chores around the house, but this is more to teach him about responsibility and work than a need to get some kind of return off him. They never expect to get a return on that investment. They didn't have him because they needed an insurance policy against loneliness in their old age. They had him because they wanted to love him, and because they wanted to see if they could make together maybe a better person than they were or maybe because their parents have been pestering them for years to have a kid themselves. Francis will live with them until he's 25, at which point he will graduate from college on his second try and after a gap year spent backpacking around Southeast Asia. He'll work half as many hours as the original Francis would have. He will have some jobs that he hates and some jobs that are out of his reach that he won't get to and wishes he could. But for the most part, he will spend his life doing just about any job he pleases. He'll visit 20 countries, he will spend hours at a time arguing with his friends about which Star Wars movie is best and which is worst. He will know war only as something that people do in the stars, or that things people do in far-off places, or if he chooses specifically to volunteer for that duty himself and makes the cut as a soldier. Most of his life will be typified by a sense of security about his possessions and an unease about how big and open and possible the future actually is. Not about how confining it is. When he buys food, he will be chiefly concerned about how nice the farmers were to the chicken whose meat he is buying. Then he will leave that meat in the fridge too long because he is too lazy to cook it and end up throwing it out. He'll have his own copy of God's Word, probably several copies. It will not only be in the language that he can read, it'll be in a variation of the language he can read most comfortably. And because he's not up at sunrise and in bed by sunset, he has the luxury of time in which to read that word himself. He'll come to know Jesus Christ not just by pictures and stories and wooden carvings of a man beaten and hung on a cross, but as a person with personality to whom he can speak and rely on in difficult times. And because he is not living every day, working desperately hard enough to survive, He will have time to ask questions about what life is really about and his place in it. And he will be able to conclude that life is in fact about that relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. As far as things to be thankful for goes, there is no better time to be alive than today and no better place than here in the free world in which we live. And some of us have prominent specific things uh, about this year about which we are thankful and we are right to lift those up for God. But even if we don't, even if we feel we may have had a boring year by comparison to some others, we only need to really pay attention to the life that we live and the things that we take for granted constantly to find sources of thankfulness enough to fill our prayers. Air conditioning in our homes, cars and phones and internet so that we can maintain contact with the people that we love no matter where they are in the world. None of us will ever have to hunt for our own food or make our own shoes. Have you thanked God for that? We have a police police force that constantly works around the clock to make sure we are safer than we would be at any other time in history. We have firemen who rush to the scene of a fire or accident whose job it is to protect you and the things you own from harm and destruction. Have you thanked God for them? A couple of generations before mine... People grew up really believing that the world would be destroyed by nuclear war, almost certainly. They really thought it was just a matter of time before someone dropped a bomb and then all the bombs would drop and then that would be the end of it. They grew up doing drills where they hid under desks at school as if that would stop the radiation, but a sense of controlling the sense of panic that people had inside. But the Cold War came and it went at an end. And for all the fear that the media pumps up now about random shooters and terrorist attacks, the threat that they pose to any of us, statistically speaking, is so, so small compared to the threats that faced the generations before us. Have you thanked God for how safe you are in your life and how safe those you love are every day? And the psalm we read is about living in an attitude of thankfulness to God, whether one comes from a background of deprivation, or a life punctuated by storms of sudden danger god delivers and he is good his love endures forever and so as we creep up on this new year on the looming 2020 all of us can stand to go into it with thanks and praise on our lips we have so much for which we should thank our god and in a moment we're going to pray again but for now let's bow our heads together and in the quiet and comfort and safety of this place in a meeting between you and the God that you know, the God who saved you. Consider some of the things that you might have taken for granted this year about which you are thankful. Let's do that now. Father God, many of us are in need. We and those we love might be sick or suffering or far away. Uh, Any number of challenges may lie before us right now or in the immediate future. And for those things, God, we ask for your help. And we pray and we thank you for your enduring love. But tonight we are so thankful, Lord, for a country with safe borders and no enemies, for a government where speech and property are honored, for freedom to come and praise you together in public in a congregation for the ability to give our children the chance to live lives so blessed that their grandparents couldn't imagine it for systems and professionals and schools all of which are not perfect but are so much better than the world that came before us we thank you that we get to read your word with our own eyes in the language of our own hearts so that we can know you as you introduce yourself to us, And we thank you, God, that you saw fit to send your son into the chaos of this world, to make us your sons and daughters, so that we could play our part in making the world more honoring to you and in bringing that saving gospel message to the ends of the earth. Fill our hearts, Lord, with reminders in this coming year so that we can live lives defined by the gratitude for all that you've done And that everyone would see that and know that there is a God and that he shines through us. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.